Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. It's time for another Friday conversation. It's 13 January 2022. I'm recording this on the 6th of January, and I recorded the interview you're about to hear a couple of weeks before that on December 30th. Um, Lisa and I um, had a long conversation about a book that I read, Unexpected Choice, and Abortion Doctor's Long Journey to Pro-Life. And as we had this conversation, she and I kind of came to this conclusion that this is a guest that we should have on the podcast. So I reached out to Dr. Patty Giebink uh, to sort of probe her interest in whether she would be willing to be on the show and um, read her book. And she has an incredible story. Um, abortion, listen, abortion is a sensitive subject. We, we don't often get into controversial topics here on this podcast, especially because our mission here is self-brain surgery and learning how to think about our thinking. And, and we don't usually get into politics or sort of those sorts of things. But this particular story, I think, is powerful because it shows that even when we're in the midst of a profession or some place in our life where we seem far from God or we're doing things that would seem to be far from God's will— God takes note of our lives. Scripture says that. He has taken note of your life. He never stops searching for you. And Patty Giebink's story is incredible. Patty Giebink is an MD. She's a board-certified OBGYN physician who works part-time delivering babies in rural South Dakota and travels across the world to Christian hospitals to help them with uh, delivery services and, and provide health care for women. And she went to med school in a time when the teaching was that thousands and thousands of women were dying because of unsafe abortions and they didn't have access to safe abortion care when they needed it. And she felt a heart for providing health care for women even women who were needing to undergo a safe and legal abortion. So that led her in South Dakota to, during one year of her practice, being recruited to work for Planned Parenthood. And for a year of her life, she worked exclusively in South Dakota providing abortion services for Planned Parenthood and at that time was the only provider of abortion services in the state of South Dakota. And she had to go to work in bulletproof vests, carrying weapons sometimes because there were so many threats to her life. And right in the midst of that time, unbeknownst to her, she had a nun who had seen her on TV during an interview and had begun to pray for her by name that God would lead her to a change of heart, that he would reach out to her and, and save her. And years and years later, Patty was working in advocacy after she had left Planned Parenthood, and she encountered this nun who told her, I've been praying for you by name for years that God would turn you around, and he did it. And so this story is one not just of, of a controversial topic, but actually can shed some light on both sides of a very complicated and difficult issue. But more than that, it's a story of how God never stops searching for us. He never stops looking for us. And no matter where you are in your life, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're doing, God has a plan and a purpose for you. And if you open your heart to him, he will come after you. And so Patty Giebink's story is one of redemption, it's one of uh, restoration, and it's a, it's a remarkable story. And I think you'll learn something on both sides of the abortion issue that you didn't know. Um, she's unequivocally pro-life now, so there's no question about where she stands. But she'll teach you some things that you didn't know. Like I said, abortion is a sensitive subject. It's emotional. It divides families and divides friends. And in Patty's book, Unexpected Choice, a an abortion doctor's unexpected long journey to pro-life, Dr. Patty Giebink talks about her time at Planned Parenthood. She talks about the, the work that she did. And with candor and compassion, she tells her stories and helps readers understand all sides of this issue. Patty did a wonderful interview on Focus on the Family.
back in 2021, actually shortly before I was on the show. And I'm going to put a link to the sh- in the show notes for that interview because it was really wonderful and well done. And Jim Daly um, did a great job talking with her and she did a great job laying out both sides of this issue. And really in our conversation, we talked more about her book and, um, and all of that. But the, the subject is deep. There's a lot of nuance to it. It's not as black and white as we might think it is. If you're raised the way I was, it's just straight up black and white and there's no debate. And I think that's one of the problems we've had um, getting to a place where we can have a conversation with people on the other side. So they see it one way and we see it another. And there's just no way to have a conversation because we both have dug our heels on the the, the fact that we believe we're right on the subject. Well, Patty gives us a, another sort of ability to have a conversation to make it more about love and more about um, friendship than it is about um, battlefield so I love this conversation Patty Giebink is a, a incredible brilliant woman and she has a story that really is a story of redemption and really is a story of love and I think you'll gain a lot from it Lisa and I are going to give away two copies of Patty's book Unexpected Choice and Abortion Doctor's Journey to Pro-Life is a beautifully published book from Tyndale and Focus on the Family and we're going to give two copies away to the first two listeners to write in lee at drleewarren.com with your name and mailing address so the first two these will go fast so don't wait five or six days and ask because they're going to be gone within about 30 minutes of this episode Episode coming out, then please send your name and address because if somebody else does before you do, they'll get the copies and you won't. So two copies, um, unexpected choice. Email me Lee at drleewarren.com and we'll get after it and get those books out to you. This is a, a difficult conversation. There's a wonderful redemption story here to be had, but I just felt like you would learn and grow from Patty's experience. And I think one of the things that we always talk about here is that you can't change your life until you change your mind. And this is something that, that Patty changed her mind about. And, and on the level of she had to change her profession, like how you make your living and how many of us would have the guts to do that. And she, um, she's a great uh, intellect, a great mind, a great heart, has written a great book. I think you'll get a lot out of it. And it's a wonderful conversation. I'm grateful that she took the time to be with us. And without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Patty Giebink. But before we do that, Lisa is going to tell us the good news that we can start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. Well, friend, we're back. I'm so excited to introduce a new friend to you today. We've had some amazing guests on the Friday Conversations from the podcast in the last few months, and I don't think any that I'm more excited about introducing you to than my guest today, Dr. Patty Giebink. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So glad to have you here today. You're in South Dakota, right? Yes. 
Is the weather pretty good up there? Is it cold? We've had several blizzards, and I think in a few days we'll have another one. So, but uh, I love winter, or I wouldn't live here. Nice. Well, I'm gonna. I've already told people a little bit about who you are, but I just want you to give us a kind of a brief um, walk through your life and career um, for a minute as kind of preamble to where we're going to talk about your book and your work. But tell us who you are, because you've got a story that. I've had a lot of doctors and scientists and famous people on this show, but I don't think I've ever had anybody that has had quite the journey that you've had, both professionally and spiritually. So give us a little nutshell of of who you are, Patty. Well, I'm the middle child of seven, so uh, kind of the invisible middle. My dad was an orthopedic surgeon. Um, I grew up in South Dakota. Uh, Didn't really think about abortion that just wasn't on the radar. Right. Uh, I do, however, uh, I did, however, know of at the time when it was illegal that uh, there were some avenues to finding having an abortion. I didn't personally know anybody at that time that had had an abortion. And uh, I guess I was just busy with school and, and whatnot. So my first career was not medicine. I actually was a teacher first and an exercise physiologist. And right. uh, at age of 30, I decided to go to medical school. So by the time I got out of residency, I think I was 40, um, wow. I did my residency in Indianapolis and uh, didn't know it was where they uh, had really good teaching on abortion, didn't really plan on that being part of my life. Um, so you, I grew chose, up, you chose OBGYN for what reason? Like what made you become an OBGYN doctor? Not to interrupt Well, I story. wanted to go into sports medicine and, but I, I don't know, you know, uh, kind of women's lib was a big thing. And yeah. I, uh, kind of got into that and, uh, a number of women that were my friends that time I was living in Sioux Falls. Um, a number, of, a number of my friends were pro-choice, and so I kind of got into that. And and when I went to medical school, uh, you know, you start, and they always ask you, what are you going to go into? And especially in a rural state like South Dakota, they want you to go into rural medicine. So right. pretty much everybody says, yeah, I'm going to go into family medicine. And my differential was sort of weird. It was uh, family medicine, OBGYN, psychiatry, might have been one more on there, but as time went on, I realized what I really wanted to do was women's health care. And at that time, there weren't many women in women's health care. Right. And I was sort of the first class that evened out the men and the women in residency. And, and now I think it's predominantly women. So when I decided I wanted to do OBGYN, I started looking at programs and Indiana was the last program. And the only reason I even thought about it was my brother-in-law was going there to do a fellowship in gastroenterology. So at the last minute, I applied there and ranked at first because I didn't think I could get in and uh, got in. So uh, once I was there, I found out they had an active uh, program teaching abortion. They had an abortion clinic called the Well Women's Clinic. And I just found it fascinating. Uh, we didn't have to. It was not. You couldn't require at that time, a resident to actually do abortions, but you had to work in the clinic. And, uh, but I was fine with doing abortions. It, it just, uh, 
I hadn't really had a debate about whether it was good or not. I just thought it's it's important. I believed I was saving women's lives. You talk about you that read, in your book a lot about how the, the the notion that a lot of people died seeking abortion care was important to you as part of that choice. Yeah. Yeah. And the article I just wrote or the letter I just wrote uh, in the South Dakota Medical Journal in December, um, I give the statistics that, you know, at the time, uh, well, Bernard Nathanson recanted. And at the time, pre-Roe v. Wade, they knew that to get public opinion that they had to fudge the numbers. And so I remember that the number was in the as like a couple hundred thousand women are dying every year from illegal abortions. And I thought, wow. So the actual number is less than a hundred in wow. the United States. The year before uh, Roe v. Wade was made legal, it was something like, I don't know, 30 or 40 in the U S. Um, wow. So I read, I think one one thing that was sort of an aha moment was reading Bernard Nathanson's book called The Hand of God, where he says we made up those numbers. And something clicked and I thought, wow, I mean, I thought that was so important. And now that poof, it's gone, that belief, that understanding. Wow. So that was sort of part of my journey when I heard that. So I got done with residency and I came back to South Dakota because at the time I was married to a farmer and uh, knew I had to work in Sioux Falls and yeah. did that until we ended up getting a divorce sometime later. And I moved to where I live now in a little town on the Missouri River. And um, I haven't done any abortions since leaving Planned Parenthood in 1997. And uh wasn't really planning on doing more, but I hadn't ruled it out until I walked into a small church in Chamberlain <laughs> in 2001, and God just totally captivated me. Just, I could not not go to church. It was just, wow. uh, I finally could start understanding the Bible, and I had been doing some kind of new agey things, you know, seeking seeking something bigger. Yeah. Um, and when I started reading the Bible, I just, you know, God opened my eyes. He just took off the blinders and just started revealing his character and who he is. And wow. We're going to unpack that, that part of your spiritual journey in a little bit, because there's so much there that you write about so well in your book. Um, Unexpected Choice is the book. Um, an Abortion Doctor's Journey to Pro-Life, um, Tyndale and Focus on the Family publishes a great book. You did a wonderful job. Um, Lisa and I are going to give away two copies of the book. First two listeners that write in, Lee at DrLeeWarren.com with your name and mailing address, please. First two listeners that write in, we're going to give away two copies of this wonderful book. I think it can change lives, maybe save lives. Um, and Patty did a great job with that book. Thank you for writing it. I know it took a lot of courage. Well, thank you. It was a very, an, uh, writing the book was also a long journey. Um, and the interesting thing was at one point, I literally threw up my hands and I said, God, I've done everything I can possibly do. I'm done. I'm done. If you want this book to happen, 
you make it happen because I'm I'm wow. tired of thinking about it. And that was about oh, it was a while. And uh, a few months later, he he just put people in my path that gave me the right advice that you know connected me with a with a Kimberly Shoemate, my co-writer. And it's like we are we are like sisters. It's Unfortunately, she lives in Eugene, Oregon, so I've only met her once, but uh, she's the reason the book is really readable and uh, and and I hope it's fun. I hope you laugh. I hope it you is. cry. You know, I I there's chapters that um, I can, I still cry over, so Hmm. Well, it's a very personal story. You know, you you, you gave us a, a really thirty thousand foot look there of your career, but I mean, you you weren't particularly a spiritual person before your transformation in that little church, right? I think I tried to be. I think I always recognized that there was a God or something. I just didn't know. I actually grew up going to Sunday school at a Baptist church in Sioux Falls. Mm. And I actually got baptized at age 12. But I didn't have any foundation. I had no idea what the Holy Spirit was. Right. I, I think I just did it because I was best friends with the pastor's daughter. <laughs> well, so, so you know, I, as I read your book, I'm like you—you you approached your career choices and the things that you encountered and were asked to do, and, and you learned how to do abortions and all that. You approached all of it from the pos- position of being a really good doctor to your patient, who was the woman in, in for, at, at that stage. Um, and you talk about how you you had this heart and this passion for making sure women had access to safe healthcare, even when it was a hard choice for them. And, and, and so I I thought that was interesting because some, a lot of us that come from more fundamentalist Christian backgrounds, issues like abortion are so black and white to us. We don't know, you know, you come at it from either a, it's a hundred percent, somebody's right to choose this, or it's a hundred percent, absolutely always wrong. And there's very little places where those camps can talk to each other. And so you said something in your interview on Focus on the Family, which I'm going to link in the show notes here that I thought was brilliant. You said, and I think you're quoting somebody, but but you said, if you're going to make peace with your enemies, you don't do it by talking to your friends, just 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 hanging out with your friends. You make it by building bridges with your enemies. And, and so so maybe um, maybe talk for a second about when your heart started to change a little bit, um, what was that like for you emotionally as you were going through the process of being an abortion provider who started having second thoughts? And what, and what made what were some of the cases or stories that gave you those second thoughts, maybe? There wasn't like one point where I had an epiphany. I think right. that the more I learned about God, and his character. The more I learned about who God is, and as I read the Bible and could could understand the stories, and um, it just slowly became clear to me that 
abortion is not a good thing. You know, God is, God creates life, not for us to destroy it out of convenience. Um, I think another part of my continued journey was being involved with the Alpha Center, a pregnancy resource center in South Dakota. I've been on their board for 10 years. And I think part of my conversion was meeting pro-life people that had so much compassion that they didn't judge me and they treat me badly and they just loved me. They just right. loved me. Um, and that's how they treat the women who come in their doors. And it breaks my heart to hear all the lies and innuendos and things that are being spoken now in uh news and public, all the lies about what goes on at a pregnancy resource center. I have invited pro-choice people to come and tour the center. Um, and they, they don't. So how can they know the truth about what goes on? They only mm-hmm. know what people tell them and it's not the truth. So I think it's so important that we talk about, um, about compassion for mothers, compassion for fathers, um, compassion for what they're going through. And it's not just about the baby, uh, but it's understanding and helping people in crisis. And uh, the, the Alpha Center has such great programs. When I compare an abortion clinic, the pregnancy resource center, they are as different as night and day. Mm-hmm. And if, if people who provide abortions talk about taking care of women, do they really, do they really listen to the women? Do they really help them with what they need? And do they see them after the abortion? No. Right. Whereas a pregnancy resource center, if they're good, you know, they're not just there to save the baby. They're there to help the parents, to help them parent, to help them make the right choices. To, um, I think so many people that walk in their doors were not parented yeah. or had abusive parents or had, you know, just kind of awful things happened. And they come into the pregnancy resource center and they find a place where people care about them and they're going to care about them today, tomorrow, two weeks, two years, you know, whatever. And I see people's lives transformed and not all of them choose to have the baby. They still, there are still women who feel that they need to do this. And um, the pregnancy center just says, well, come back and see us afterwards, you know, come and see us for some counseling, come and check in and let us know how you are. Right. And we need to be able to love people, whether they agree with our beliefs or not. That's right. You got in trouble at Planned Parenthood because (laughs) you were trying to be a doctor. Like you, you talk about how, what the public doesn't know, we hear all this about how it's a healthcare facility and it's all about women's health and all that, but it's really a business and, and they're really, you get the money, you do the procedure, 
Don't encourage people to ask questions. Don't offer alternatives. You talk about how there's a manual and, and how you had very strict guidelines about what you were supposed to say and not say. So tell us a little bit about how you got yourself crossways with Planned Parenthood. Oh, wow. It just seemed like I was always butting heads. Um, They kept telling me my job is just a technician. Wow. I would just, they did, uh, at the time we did abortions one day a week. So early on, I was still had my private practice. I was delivering babies one day and the next day I would go in and terminate pregnancies of Planned Parenthood. And I, uh, I guess I'm really good at changing hats because it didn't really occur to me that that probably wasn't very consistent with what I believed. Uh, I, I guess I didn't think about what I believed at the time, just do the job. And after almost two years of doing that, Planned Parenthood asked me to work full-time to close my practice. And work for them full-time. I did that one year and it was just an awful year because I think as a doctor, you like to have some autonomy and you like to think yeah. that, you know, that you have some control over the situation. And on abortion day, I would just be parked in the procedure room, which was a tiny little exam room. And I was just to, you know, turn over the room, you know, do the procedure, look at the tissue um, and, you know, just, and have a new person come in. And I was told I wasn't to do any counseling. I, I did, however, talk to the patient because I wanted to make sure that uh, I wasn't, that they weren't at more risk than average right. if they'd had C-sections or surgery or, you know, medical illnesses. or So I'd go through a very short um, history and physical and tell them what I was going to do and you know, some women cried, some women didn't speak English. Um, if I felt that the woman was conflicted, and I, I'd say, well, you know, if, you, if you're if you not sure, reschedule. You know, you can reschedule. Um, you don't have to do this today. And I know that's not the, the, the company line. Right. <laughs> and in fact... Eventually, I got fired. So after a year of working full time, they fired me. So never think I've learned over and over again that no one is indispensable because I was the only abortion doctor in South Dakota and I got fired. And they've flown in people ever since. And then actually they quit doing abortions uh, a few days before Roe v. Wade was overturned. but they might still be doing medical abortions. Well, they can't now because we have a, a trigger ban in South Dakota. Mm. But part part I love part of working at Planned Parenthood. I love the patients. I loved hearing their stories. But I also reflected back once I became involved with the with people who worked in the pregnancy resource center that women don't always have a free choice. That and I know because I heard their stories. You know, a lot of women are coerced. Right. Um, there met one woman whose husband held a gun to her head, and I said, and said to her, "Either you have this abortion, or you're going to be dead." Wow. So, how many women actually make a free choice to have the procedure, and how many women? have truly had informed consent. And that's the 
thing that in South Dakota we dealt with through legislation, waiting periods, uh, parental notification. Uh, we have uh, we we have an informed consent that requires that you tell the 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 woman that you know that this is a unique human being. You're terminating the life of a unique human being. Yeah. That was a big fight. That was a big legislative fight that you were heavily involved in. Like you were fundamental in helping change the law in South Dakota to make sure that women were actually informed of what they were doing. It it was really a privilege to talk to the legislators. Um, and I never knew what I was saying till about five o'clock in the morning. Because um, I always wanted to have something fresh. I always wanted to have something that somebody needed to hear. I didn't want it to just be old rhetoric, um, but I know that women who have abortions are not given full informed consent. Right. You go in for even a minor procedure to a regular hospital or surgery center, and they're going to tell you everything that might happen, whether it's uh likely to happen or in a certain percentage or they've never seen it. And, and they tell you everything that might go wrong. That's right. And that does not happen in abortion clinics. That's, that's terrifying. Really. I mean, you're, you're doing a procedure that does have substantial risks. And as a surgeon, I mean, you talk about it well in your book, how you can cause bleeding. There can be retained tissue that can cause sepsis and death. And, and I mean, these women are at risk from the procedure if it's not done properly, and even if it is done properly sometimes, and yet the the business model says you got to crank this out before they change their mind really is what it feels like, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Terrifying. You you tell a story in the book that I, I think is just amazing about the power of prayer, about this Catholic nun that got your name on her heart and, and and prayed for you for a long time. Tell tell us a bit about that. I thought that was the sweetest. I told Lisa, my wife, um, that that was such a sweet example of the, just the power of Jesus over time. And, and I, I just love it. Tell us about that. Sister Josita <laughs> is still alive. She's 90-something. And uh, we write back and forth. I have met her several times. She... Uh, is retired now and uh, in sort of assisted living up where, where there is a, a, I don't remember what they call it, but, uh, but she calls me every now and then and we, <laughs> we write letters and in 19, when I first started uh, doing abortions at Planned Parenthood, of course it was news and it made the newspaper and she yeah. read a, story and that named me by name and said I would be starting to do abortions at Planned Parenthood. And um, I asked her, I said, what, what was it that, that caught your attention? And she said, you sort of implied that this wasn't something you wanted to do as a career. Yeah. And so she thought that there was, there was a, something in in me that you know that interested her so she started praying for me by name wow. and about 10 years later when south dakota did tried to do the first abortion ban it was called vote yes for life um 
And I ended up doing some spots on TV that basically said, I'm Dr. Patty Giebink. I used to work at abo- doing abortions at Planned Parenthood, and now I'm asking you to vote yes for life. Very short, wow. brief things. Um, and she saw that, and she wrote me a letter. Um, she sent it to the wrong clinic and this and that, but it got to me. And when I opened that letter, I was just astonished. Eventually we, uh, I wrote her back and, uh, and we, we eventually met and we met a number of times since then. And she's just such a delight and she prays for me every day. And so I, If I have something coming up, like uh, if I'm going back to Pakistan or if I'm doing this or I'm going to talk for a thing, you know, I'll drop her a note. And because I know she's she's praying. Um, There's other people who prayed for me as well. Um, One is a woman that I ran into in Sioux Falls. I don't know if I actually ran into her, but we were both doing OBGYN in Sioux Falls. And she said she started praying for me. And then I think she's in Arizona now or something. And because her family's in South Dakota, we've met up a couple of times. And so she was another person who prayed. Well, it's amazing that that, so Sister Josita was praying specifically that you would, that the Lord would change your heart about the work that you did. And when you met her, she was like, I did that. I was praying for you. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing that yeah. we have people that take note of our lives and and just pray for us. We don't even know most of the time, but you've had that great grace of getting to know her and, and closing yeah. that loop. That's that's amazing. Yeah. But when you got so, you know, I'm gonna like I said, encourage people to read the book. We don't we're not we don't have time, unfortunately. I'd love to talk to you for hours, but um, we'll let people read the story. But once God got a hold of you um, and you started changing your spiritual journey. Um, was there some period of time when when you felt guilt or shame or or pain over the work that you had done and and how did you how did you work through that well yeah um it took a while to heal i once met a group of women that were post abortive i was sort of thrown mm-hmm. into the room where they were and i Later on, I thought, oh, my gosh, I might have been the doctor that did their abortion. And the group at that time was called Alive. Um, and I re- I bonded with them because I felt the same guilt and shame that they did. Wow. And it didn't take much early on to put me back into sort of a... a mental funk where I would think, oh, my gosh... Um, And there are organizations that do healing programs, but, you know, God is so good that when I needed something, he provided it. He provided a situation. Um, But I remember, and I, and I, early on, when I went to my first pregnancy resource center Christmas banquet, (laughs) (laughs) and it, it was so neat. I was so afraid to go because I thought these people are going to look down on me. They're going to judge me. They're going to throw me in a corner like typhoid Mary. And, 
But instead, they welcomed me. It's kind of like the banquet they talk about in the Bible. You know, they welcomed me with open arms and we're so happy to meet you. And they sat me at the at the uh, big table with the big people. And but on the way out the door, when it was all over with a guy who I have who's a real nice Christian and and wouldn't hurt a fly. And he said to me, he came up to me and he said, I know we're all sinners, but I've never done anything that bad. Oh. And this was so early in my journey that I was crushed. I was just crushed. And it took me days. It took God days to get me back on my feet. Mm. Um, and he had no idea, but now if somebody came up to me and said something to me, it's like, well, that's their problem. You know, I would, I would probably say, well, you know, seems to me there's the woman at the well in the Bible. There's, um, you know, there's a lot of stories in the Bible where, uh, you know, God doesn't categorize sin, sin. in that right. way. That's right. Um, in fact, he talks more about gossiping and saying something bad about a fellow Christian. And um, so, but God did heal me. Through yeah. some very big platforms and very humbling, maybe a little bit humiliating circumstances. <laughs> but I laugh, and God has such a sense of humor. I mean, there are times where I just hear him laughing, and I go, yep, God, this is you. You know, I get it. So I'm glad I could provide some humor for you. <laughs> um, but he set me up so many times. I told my co-writer, Kimberly, I said, you know, I really should have a chapter called Bait and Switch because <laughs> God kind of does that. He puts, he does. I think I'm going to go in and do one thing and then something else happens. Um, and if, if I had known before what was going to happen, I probably would have chickened out because people say, oh, you're so courageous. I go, no, I just try and be obedient. Wow. You know, it, it really is a testament to the healing power of grace that that whatever we've done and wherever we've been, he can lift that guilt and shame. I mean, all of us have those things in our past. And um, you're right, the Bible's full of stories of, of people who were super broken and, and did terrible things. And and um, then they became like David, the man after God's own heart, yeah, right? Yeah, so it's yeah. just beautiful. And your story is one of redemption. It's one of bravery. I mean, you've gone on from those Planned Parenthood days to become a real advocate and leader in the pro-life movement in South Dakota and around the country and, and your involvement in those those uh, really, really sometimes dangerous and, and politically um, not, what's the word, incorrect uh, movements has been inspiring to me. So I, I thank you, Patty, for for what you're doing and who you are. And I hope we get to meet each other someday. I hope so too. I hope so too. We're gonna um, we're gonna make sure lots of people hear about your book, and uh, maybe we can have another conversation at another time. I'd, I'd love to get deeper in um, the 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 sort of science part of it with you. Like, what do you think now as a as a scientist about all these things and and how we could have a conversation about um, 
life and what it means and all those things. But I think that's another topic for another day. Um, for, for today, I really wanted to get your story on the record and introduce our listeners to the fact that you can find hope um, wherever you are. For you, you found it in, in Planned Parenthood and, and you found your way uh, to a new place. And I'm, I'm really inspired by your story. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I credit God and I credit my co-writer. And, you know, God really, he connected me with my co-writer, who is a woman. She told me, she said, you, you need to say this sometimes. She's, she's a woman who had three abortions. Oh, wow. And so part of this book is part of her story, too. Um, and I think, you know, only God could connect a former abortion doctor with a woman who had three abortions and wow. that we would write a book. So it's it's so fascinating to to see what God does. It really is. We got um, two copies that Lisa and I are going to give away. First two listeners that write in Lee at drleewarren.com. Lisa and I will gift you a copy of the format of your choice. I think the audio book is fantastic, by the way. Um, oh, thank here, you. Hear the story in your own words and in your own voice. It's, you know, it's 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 really well done. So, um, any parting shots for us? If if somebody's out there and they're um, considering an abortion or feeling like they're in a in a situation where where they aren't sure what to do next, what would you say to a young woman uh, in that situation today, Patty? Oh boy, that's a good question. Um, you can email me. I have an email, Dr. Patty at unexpectedchoice.com. I would be happy to talk with you. Uh, there are people out there, find them that can help you. Find a reputable, I don't know, find a good pregnancy resource center and call them or call a helpline and ask questions. Maybe you don't call the right helpline at first, but keep until keep going until you get a voice that has compassion and understanding and um, and that you can talk to. Um, it's uh, try and get as much information as you can. The good, the bad, the ugly, you know. Uh, and I think uh, the other thing is, is uh, I once heard, and this was over actually a, a friend who committed suicide, but I read that mm. uh, um, don't use a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Mm. You know, the pregnancy will come to an end. There are, you know, there are alternatives. Adoption is one that really we need to make more available and not expensive. There yeah. are, are, are people who really want to raise your baby and would do it in a wonderful, loving family. And what a gift to give to a couple. Um, but don't have an abortion because you don't think you have any other choice. Um, brilliant. And I'm going to put all the links uh, to some of those resource centers and, and uh, to your book and your email. Thank you for sharing that. That's friend. If if you have somebody in your life that that's in a situation like this, like Patty is a voice that knows what she's talking about and to, for her to offer to communicate directly with you. That's a resource you should take advantage of if you need to. Um, Patty Giebing, thank you for your work. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show with us today. Thank you. It's a real privilege. Thank you so much. 
What an incredible conversation. I'm really grateful that Patty came, uh, took the time to get on Zoom and talk to us. And um, I want to share a, a few little excerpts from the end of her book. It's, um, you know, we talked about her story and all of that, but I want to give you just a sample of her writing and the power of her story here at the end of her book. Um, she said, I wish I could tell you what you want to hear that abortion and other man-made destruction will soon be stifled and ended once for all, but I doubt abortion will end. Not now, maybe never. What I can tell you is that people are hurting and in need of hope, and the answer to that lack of hope can be found in Scripture. Joel 2.13 tells us, Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. She says, That statement calms me. But before we can return to God, we were humbled and weakened by the enemy God allows in beyond our abilities to cope alone. Then we return to God of our own free will. And when we have endured the season that has ground us to dust, God promises us in Joel 2.25 that he will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. And listen to this that Patty wrote. In me, God restored peace, compassion, forgiveness, all those qualities that are hallmark of his workmanship. If we will only turn to God with our struggles, he will be gracious, forbearing, and kind to us. No matter how sour the fruit of our careless errors, he will make us suitable for heavenly service. Listen, friend, there's no place that you can go that's too far for Jesus' loving, redemptive touch. Patty writes, after a lifetime of mistakes and deliverance from them, I can say forthrightly and without a doubt that no one is beyond redemption. No matter what you've done or failed to do, all is not lost. Our divine Redeemer is on your side, and He will make all things work together for good. I'm always telling you, friend, there's always a valid reason for hope. Never stop hoping. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how much guilt or shame you have about the past, Jesus, God tells us in Isaiah 43, forget the former things. I'm ready to do a new thing. I'm ready to make a way where there is no way. I'm ready to make streams in the wilderness. And in this in this midst of January, here in the middle of the first month of a new year, know that your divine Redeemer is on your side, as Patty said. Now listen to this last little bit that I want to share with you from her book. She says, The blemishes and bruises from daily battering, along with our blind direction and the unwitting damage we've done to fellow human beings, big or small, in no way steal us, from God's reach. In our achievements and victories, Jesus is with us. In our darkest hour and greatest need, He is there. And there is nothing you can do to stop Him from loving you. That is the gospel story right there, friend. Here we have a woman who was performing abortion for Planned Parenthood. And when she became a Christian, she had to face up to all those things that she had done. And Jesus lovingly and tenderly restored her heart. And He said, Patty, and he said it to you, to me, Lee, Lola, Brian, Lisa, Tata, everybody listening. He says, there's nothing you can do to stop me from loving you. No mental lapse, no uninformed choice, no act of cruelty can make him turn away from you. Patty wrote, he is irreversibly invested because you are his. You were made for him and through him and in him and by him. You will finally return to him or not. It's your choice. Patty writes, it's one very important choice for you to make. God is in everything, whether you believe and cleave to that faith, the ultimate source of perfect redemption, or refuse and continue in your own limited logic and strength. He is still there. And then she gives a quote from Dr. Oliver Wendell Holmes, who's one of the most famous poets 
of all time. But you may not know he was also a physician. And Dr. Holmes wrote, Oliver Wendell Holmes wrote, I find the great thing in this world is not so much where we stand as in what direction we are moving. To reach the port of heaven, we must sail sometimes with the wind and sometimes against it, but we must sail and not drift or lie at anchor. Patty says this, that sentiment resonates with me. We need movement in our daily spiritual walk instead of stagnation. We need to lay hold of God's promise to transform us into the image of his son. God, our moral and spiritual motivator, should be our defining goal. Listen, friend, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, God will redeem and restore your life, and he will use every moment of your life in a way that can conform you to him. That's what Romans eight twenty eight and 29 are all about. Jesus is good news. He's always good news, and he will never stop searching for you. He will never stop reaching for you. He will always come after you. So Patty Gibbing's story is not just a story about somebody who used to perform abortions. It's a story about how God will never stop hunting you, and he will always be there for you, and how his what the work that he's done can transform you and your life into something beautiful and something helpful for others. So I highly recommend Patty's book, Unexpected Choice. Again, we're going to give away two copies, Lee at DrLeeWarren.com. The first two listeners that write in with your name and mailing address will send you a physical book. If you'd rather have an audio or digital book, let me know that too. The first two that that reach out to us will give you a copy of that book. Great story, great writer, great great doctor, and a great person of faith, and she'd be somebody I highly recommend you read her book. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind. This is a great story of how God can change your mind and change your life and how you can start today. We're going to finish today's episode with my friend Tommy Walker's song, I Once Was Blind. Listen, we all have some areas of our lives and some times and seasons in our lives when we're sailing in a direction that's not where God wants us to go, but he never stops looking. And he'll open your eyes to see if you just ask him to. And just remember Patty's story. Beautiful example of God's redemptive grace. Here's Tommy Walker, but you start today. I once was blind, now I can see. You are the son of man, the king of kings. Lord, I believe now, and I worship thee now. You are the son of man, the king of kings. was lost but now I am found you are the son of God light of the world you took my blindness and all of my sorrow and pain to put on display in our day Lord I believe I believe you are the king you are my healer all that I need all that 
now it's my side, Lord. Show me the way, the way I should work for you, Lord. Now that it's day, the night it is coming when all of the work all must be done. Jesus Messiah, show. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.